Hey, welcome to Recharting Your Life with Hope. I'm Hope Cook, creator and host. If you feel stuck, restless, overwhelmed, or dissatisfied with your current life, despite your life looking pretty good on paper, or at least on social media, I can totally relate. Together, we'll figure out how to take the next right step. I'll interview women who are a little farther along on the path and get tips and ideas from them. I definitely don't have it figured out, so I'll share the ups and downs of my own journey with you. Let's get started because life is too short to waste in autopilot. If you want to be the best possible version of you, you're in the right place. All right, y'all. Today we have Madeline Rabb. I have been so excited to get Madeline on this podcast and she's finally here. Welcome, Madeline. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm excited to join you today. And you're joining us from Chicago, right? Yes, I am from downtown Chicago, looking over Lake Michigan. Wow. Okay. And Madeline and I met in a writing group. I've interviewed a couple of people from that same writing group and we just feel like we hit gold with each other because we still have our little Thursday meeting group and we're all writers, but now we probably yak yak more about stuff than we do (laughs) writing. Well, you all wear me out because everybody is, is much younger than I am. And, you know, at a certain, at a different point in their lives where they're reinventing themselves. And I've reinvented myself maybe uh, 10 times. I don't know, not that many. That's why I wanted to have you on the podcast. Yeah. And so I don't have, I don't have the same sense of, uh, well, I do have a sense of urgency (laughs) because I'm 76 for goodness sake. But anyway, uh, it's, it's a good group and and it stimulates me. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good group. And I have heard so many of the stories of you reinventing yourself that I had to have you on. (laughs) And I was doing a little bit of research on you. Oh, dear. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's all good. All right. So y'all, Madeline is a collector, a dealer, a creator, and a lover of art. I don't know if you still do the dealing part, but... Um, I do if it's the right deal. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't do anything now that gives, that makes my stomach clench oh. or makes me feel like, oh, no, yeah. I don't do that anymore. I just do what I want to do. Oh, I want to get to that point. <laughs> how do you, how do you get there? How do you get past the doing things you don't want to do, doing it out of obligation? Well, I think you begin to decide what really gives you pleasure and and what are your goals? You know, for me, um, I came out of a studio. I was in in a studio as a painter and a printmaker for maybe from the time I got married in 66 until 1983, uh, Mm -hmm. when I was um, appointed the executive director of the Chicago Office of Fine Arts by Mayor Harold Washington. But during that period, I was focused on on being an artist. And I said yes to everything because I was was hustling. And I wanted to prove, I was so determined to prove that I could make a living as an artist. 
Because your husband was a well-known physician, right? So you were like. And I never wanted to be that professional doctor's wife, Mrs. Doctor, a dilettante, you know, uh, she doesn't have to work. And and so I was always sort of fighting this uh, fear that people would not take me seriously. And I, and I doubt that was an issue at times, you know? Yeah. Um, But I remember um, my husband used to go to the National Medical Association every year. And uh, this is an organization of black physicians that gather once a year and it's a big, big event. And he was very dedicated to it. Mm -hmm. And he used to want me to go with him all the time. And I enjoyed it, but I was not like the others, other doctors' wives. I, yeah. I just wasn't. I mean, my identity was not tied into being a doctor's wife. So I yes. told him, I will go on one condition. This is after <laughs> a few years. I said, I want to bring my art and sell it. Oh, good for you. Well, he looked at me he's, and I knew he was thinking, oh my God, that is so déclassé, oh my <laughs> God. And so the convention had a group for the auxiliary, the women are the auxiliary to the, to the physicians. And they, they had like a bazaar, an artist bazaar and it was always way away, nobody could ever yeah, find it. hidden. <laughs> and I told him, I said, I wanna be among the pharmaceutical yes. in the main convention hall. Right there next to the conference center. That's right. In the conference center, uh-huh. right there. He was on the board of the National Medical Association. And so he knew, you know, he had inside, he had access, you know. Yeah, he could do you it. Need to use your access on my behalf, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> so did you get your art displayed? I did. And, and for, I did it for years and I developed a very loyal following and there were people who would come back every year and add to their collection. So I had collectors from all over the country. Wow. And, and then I made it... enough money to, to pay for my studio. Yes. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. So you, you paint and, and tell me about your art. Well, when I was working, I, I did uh, large floral paintings and uh, drawings of figures mm-hmm. um, and uh, yeah, lithographs and etchings and, and that kind of thing. They were, um, they were always about people. Mm-hmm. But eventually uh, you started your own company, right? Yes. Yeah, so I worked uh, for about eight years uh, running the Office of Fine Arts in the Department of Cultural Affairs. And um, that was a huge leap from being a studio artist to being an arts administrator in a big government job. Yeah. And I had a big staff and I oversaw exhibitions and public programs. I gave grants to organizations of all sizes. That was public art. It was a pretty darn big job. Yeah. You were a career woman and raising two boys and Mm -hmm. so not your typical in that air doctor's wife, right? No, (laughs) (laughs) no. So I got tired of the politics and um, I decided um, I wanted to start my own business because I wanted to be the arbiter of taste. I wanted to to help people figure out 
what kind of art they needed to collect and what kind of art there needed to be in businesses. Now, did so, people already tell you that you were good at doing that? Like, did people already ask your opinion and that's how you knew that you were destined to start a business in this? No, I was arrogant. <laughs> you thought you knew what people wanted. <laughs> well, I knew that I had was, uh, I have seen and know a lot of artists. I've been in the art business and developed relationships during my period with the Department of Cultural Affairs with galleries and dealers and collectors and all kinds of people. So I had the resources to find stuff. Mm, okay. And so um, I was at a, uh, I was uh, given an, an opportunity to do a, my first project, which was, it started out with um, 10, oh, it started out with the trailer outside of a new development, okay, of, of high rises. Mm -hmm. They asked me to buy one piece of art. Then they said, well, can you do 10 floors of art? What? Then can you do three lobbies of art? Then can you do 39 stories? Wow. And it was like, (laughs) honestly, when I look back, I don't know how I did it, but that was my first project as a one woman business with a, a wonderfully gifted installer who had done a lot of high rises and a lot of commercial projects but how do you um how did you get that first gig like did you put your foot in the water and just say I think I may be interested in this or had you already like started a business no I had I had uh I had told someone that I was sick of being on panels I was sick of having to have consensus about who gets to be chosen to do projects and he said you know I have a um I know somebody who's looking for someone to help curate the art collection for this project wow and I want to recommend you and they they accepted me immediately so I didn't I didn't um I didn't have to apply as it were you know yeah that's amazing so that was very serendipitous I think Yes, yes, it was. And throughout my business, though, there's something my son wrote a book a few years ago, called Invisible Capital, Mm -hmm. how unseen forces shape entrepreneurial opportunity. And the principle is that we have to sometimes pay attention to things that are right in our laps, Mm -hmm. people that you know, um, things that you that you have going for you, you know, like if you want to start a business, it wouldn't make sense for me to start a business, a stamp collecting business, right? Right. Yeah. It would make sense (laughs) for me me to do something that I know about that I have relationships with. And, you know, this whole idea that people say, well, you know, when you, when you go out to cocktail parties and dinners with people, you should never do business, you know, (laughs) well, that's where I got my clients. That's how you make connections. Yes. <clears throat> and so I think the one thing I want to share with women is that you can't be shy. Yes. And you have to seize the opportunity when it's right there and, uh, and always have your business cards. 
Yeah. How do you do that though? How do you, oh, I can just like, my stomach starts getting in knots if I think, oh, I should go talk to this person or I should call this person. How do you build up the courage? I think that you have to believe that what you are going to talk to them about um, is going to be helpful to them Mm -hmm. and that you are providing something that they actually need or didn't know that they needed. Yeah. And I think it's just, you just have to do it because you have to remember everybody's a human being and, you know, so it's okay to have a, a little anxiety, but get over it. Yeah. Because you know, you'll miss opportunities. And you do grow that muscle. I mean, it gets easier each time you do something scary. Absolutely. I must tell you that projects that I did for clients, you know, I, let's say, for example, I'm working with someone who's, who's building a house or, or, or designing a house. And they called me in early because they wanted the art to lead the project. They wanted oh, wow. to, to build around art, which was like a dream job. Yeah. Because so often I would be called in after everything had the interior decorated had taken every spot. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> and um, but the the challenge is when you're making these big purchases for these for your clients, your stomach it is in knots because they they see something that's not it. Sometimes they'll see the actual piece, but other mm-hmm. times they won't. Yeah. Or if it's commissioned, they won't know how it will look until it's done wow and you're spending their money (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh and so you just have to believe that you were listening to them that they were listening to you that you measured right and that you had a sense of what made sense for the space Mm -hmm. and i've been pretty darn fortunate yeah but i did have I had the most horrendous experience once. Do tell. <laughs> <laughs> I had convinced a client to buy this beautiful piece, or they had fallen in love with it. I'd shown them a photograph, a very large, almost life-size sculpture by a very, very well-known uh, woman sculptor. And I, I had known the sculptor for years since before I had become an art advisor. She was actually a friend of my uncle who had influenced me to, to stay, the, stay, stay in the business of being an artist. Uh-huh. So she said, no, I don't really want to sell this piece and blah, blah, blah. I said, but my client loves it and blah, blah, blah. I convinced her to sell it to me. It was a $90,000 piece. Oh my gosh. It was shipped from Mexico, outside of Mexico. (laughs) It arrived. And I kept saying, have you opened it? Have you opened it to my client? And finally they said no. And I was in town because this was out of town. I opened it and the piece was in hundreds of pieces. Oh, no. It was damaged. Was it insured? It was insured, yes. But it didn't matter because it did, wasn't even a piece of art. They Man. were buying the art, you know. That's true. <laughs> I'm know? thinking about the money. You're thinking about the art. <laughs> yeah. And so I was, I was, um, you talk about a, the pit of my stomach. Yeah. And so I, I called the artist and I told her what happened. And 
and she, and so she was a little pissy. Yes. <laughs> and then, I, then I said, look, you've got to do something because you didn't pack it well. <laughs> <laughs> and so she committed to making uh, almost a replica, a, a new piece. Oh, now wow. this artist is in her 80s, okay? Wow. <laughs> and I'm like, oh dear God, please let her stay alive. <laughs> and she was taking her time and I'd call her and she said, well, I'm working on it, but I'm doing other things and I'm doing you a favor. And the client is saying, when are we going to get the replacement? When are we going to get the oh, replacement? Man. <laughs> but finally she came through and the piece was even more beautiful than the original one. Oh, Wow. So I learned about uh, the importance of relationships, trust with your client and relationships with artists. Yeah, because that that sounds like it could have ruined your business oh. for a while. <laughs> oh, my God. And I never told my husband. <laughs> that is so funny. Because, and mm -hmm. because he would have said, I told you. <laughs> oh, he would have said, well, what are you going to do? And, and suppose she doesn't do it. And, you know, he was one of these people who was like well have you thought about this and, and you know and I'm like because sometimes you have to wing it you know yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you were winging it for sure I was winging it I was winging it well and your husband passed away when you how old were you when he passed away I was 60 and he was 73 god you were so young I mean you're still I young was. I was <laughs> so you tell us about that because I've, I've heard a little bit about how you got your got back on the dating scene and yeah well um we had I married right after I was gonna say high school <laughs> I gra I graduated from art school and I married two days later and I flew to Chicago from Baltimore to be with this wonderful man uh -huh. and um we stayed married for 39 years and um Prior to marrying him, I really had very little dating experience, just, just hardly any. And so uh, after Maurice died, I was talking to my sister. I said, you know what? I want to make up for everything I missed. <laughs> <laughs> I want to date a lot of men. I want to have a lot of sex. I want to do this. I want to do that. And my sister said, who's 10 years younger than I, and she had a career before she got married and she's been divorced and, you know, married yeah. again, you know, and she said, you know what, Matt, you're essentially a 19 year old dating. <laughs> and she said, and you don't know shit about dating. And I'm very worried about you. <laughs> that is funny. And you, yeah, y'all, every week when we talk, I'm like, who are you dating? Did your dating, uh, you hired a dating like. Uh, oh yeah, that didn't work. Uh, dating match coordinator, maker. matchmaker, yeah. Well, I selected the matchmaker really at the height of the pandemic. And so, <laughs> you know, nobody's interested, nobody's responding. And certainly there's a certain limitation being older, you know. That's true. And so uh, they refunded my money. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and you've reinvented yourself so many times with whether it's your personal life or making jewelry. Um, you don't do that I, anymore, do you? Um, every now and then I, I can't resist it. I just love making jewelry. I had a big sale about a month ago. Uh-huh. 
because I decided I just had too much of everything. I had too much art inventory. I had too much unsold jewelry. I had too much African art. And I decided I just wanted to downsize. Yeah. And so um, I had this, I, I hired someone and they held it in their, in their um, showroom or their shop rather. And uh, of course, it was the first day that the mayor shut down the city. Oh. <laughs> but it was amazing. She, I mean, I sold about 80% and I had over 400 items. Wow. So Did it, it feel like you were free or, or like you'd released a lot of um, whole, energy? I'm telling you, it was the best decision I've ever made. It just lightened the load. And, and there were things that I had lived with for so many years and I was just ready to release them. And, and the beauty of it was um, people responded like, oh my God, I'm so honored to have this or yeah. oh, this is so beautiful. Or, and I have a, a young man who is my son's classmate who has been, who has been encouraged to collect because he came to my house for all these years, you know, uh -huh. after my son uh, was in school <clears throat> and he bought things and he's, and the thing that touched me the most was he said, you know, this is an opportunity to, to, for me to acquire some pieces that I couldn't have afforded oh. if they weren't, you know, at an, at an estate sale, because I want my home to feel like your home as my children are growing up. And oh, I, was I love so that. Moved, yeah. You know? And it reminds me of what you were saying about when you're timid or nervous about approaching someone, you think about what you're going to give or offer to them, your service that you're going to provide. And it's that same way with your items, your objects, your art. It, it is. Give pleasure, you know, um, hang that piece somewhere else. Um, Michelle even bought a piece, one of our cohorts. Yeah. Yeah. And, and even though it was beautiful art, it probably felt a little bit like clutter, like just taking yes. up energy in your house. Yes. Yes. And wow. I had enjoyed them for, for many, many years and, and I don't miss a thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I also love how you continue to grow and you're always taking a new class or learning a new, you know, learning how to write a memoir um, you're, well, you know, what you don't know is that, um, during the time, you know, so, soon after I, um, was widowed, I decided I, I have a pool in my building and I said, you know what, I need to use this, this pool. And, um, and I was always swam as a kid. And, but when I was in, I, I could hardly swim from one end of the pool to the other. And there was a person who um, was using a coach and I asked about having him work with me, just maybe yeah. to help me with my stroke and breathing and whatever. Well, 10 years later, <laughs> I'm still working with him, but I have become um, a competitive swimmer. Yes, you're in the senior Olympics, right? Mm -hmm. I competed in the national senior games two years ago and I'm training for them for next year. Wow. So I do, the, I do the freestyle, the 500 um, meter freestyle. 
That is so impressive. And I, I had to chuckle. I heard you um, on Michelle's podcast and you were talking about a friend of yours and you saw her medals. <laughs> Tell us about that. Well, um, when I hired uh, Derek, I shared his name with a very good friend and she started taking uh, swimming coaching from him. And, uh, and then I, I looked up and my dear friend had acquired medals. <laughs> and I'm like, Anne, where did you get these damn medals? These, these gold medals were like taunting me. <laughs> And I said, I want some medals. I'm envious. I made no bones about it. I'm envious. <laughs> yeah. And so she said, okay, Madeline, calm down. I'm going to take you to, uh, to one of the uh, competitions because you do regional competitions to qualify for the national senior games. So um, she took me to my first one and I think I got four medals. And over the course wow. of, of a couple of years, I got 16 medals. Wow, you were hooked, I bet. Oh, yeah. I'm what very was, competitive. <laughs> what was it like that first regional game standing there? Was it swimming? You were in your bathing suit? Oh, it's, it was cold and wet <laughs> and, and chlorine And it was in a nasty little, um, you know, field house somewhere in podunk nowhere you know were you thinking like what am i doing i'm were you 70 and i know i was i was really nervous yeah <laughs> but um i did it and you compete uh you compete in in an in your age group so it's not like i'm competing against 20 year olds right but you so keep pushing helps. yourself to like do more learn more you're a cyclist you're a swimmer i don't know what else oh, you yeah. do yeah, you know, I have, I am a cyclist. So when, when the pandemic struck, the pool was closed. So mm. I said to my coach, and we had biked together before. So I said, you know what, let's, let's do some biking. And uh, I said, because I'm really not comfortable on the street. And so with the pandemic, it was early in the pandemic, and the streets were deserted. Yeah. So he took me out and we started biking on the street and I got very comfortable with it. And then, you know, he increased the distance and all this kind of thing. And then he wanted to teach me how to retrieve my water bottle mm. while I was biking. You know, you know how you have it in the, in the, yeah. in the grip there. So I'm, we're doing this, we're practicing this in a park. And so we're going around and around and I reach down and I get it out and then I try to put it back in and then my I can't, my handlebar goes oh, through, I fall and the handlebar jams into my side and the wind is knocked oh. out of me. And I'm like in so much pain, I can't believe it. So um, I bike back home and um, I'm in pain, but I'm saying, well, hell, you're supposed to be in pain. You know, you <laughs> fell, something jammed into you. And I didn't tell my sons that I had fallen because I did not want to hear them say, mom, mm -hmm. you know what? You have such an independent streak. I love it. So <laughs> I was in pain for five days and I decided, you know what, what would be the worst if I walked over to urgent care? Yeah. So I walked over to urgent care and, you know, I noticed she got very quiet as she he was had the stethoscope on my chest and back. 
She said, I think you need an x-ray. So I got an x-ray and she said, uh, you know what? Get in a wheelchair. We're wheeling you to the emergency room. You have a collapsed lung. Oh my gosh. <laughs> wow. But you got back on the horse, right? <laughs> I did. I did. So I, I recovered fully from it, but I was hospitalized. But I was so mellow about the whole thing. It wasn't until maybe a, the third day I was in the hospital, I said, oh, my God, this is serious. It, yeah. <laughs> Do you think that comes with age, getting mellow, or have you always sort of been laid back? I'm, I'm very healthy, so I sort of take it for granted, I think. And I don't, and I don't get excited about things. I'm very mellow. Yeah. yeah. Do you yeah. care what people think at this point? Like when people say, you're 76, you shouldn't be doing this. Or what do you, you think know, you're doing? That's precisely why I didn't tell my best friend, my sister, or my sons, or <laughs> anybody that I'd had an accident or that I was in the hospital. I told one son that I was, I called him right before they were taking me in for surgery. I said, oh, Maurice, uh, I got to tell you something. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I bet he's like, mom. <laughs> yes, he was. But my guys, my sons really know me and they don't, they know they can't tell me what to do, but they are helpful and I do listen to them. But I just, I decided, and when I, and I decided to, to text my girlfriends after the fact, yeah. I gave them all the details and I said, I'm doing this because I didn't want to discuss it before. And I didn't want anybody to tell me I was too old to be riding a bike. That's right. And um, one of them was furious with me. Another one was, you're too, you should, you know, I said, you know what? Just stop it. Yeah. <laughs> this Do is you, the way I am. You know, they say you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Do you try to surround yourself with people who are like you, always learning and trying mm -hmm. new things? And I, do, I really haven't met a lot of people sort of like me <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but I do have one friend who is ever curious you know she's the yeah. kind of person who who I can call at the last minute and and let's do something and she's always game and vice versa then I have friends who have to ponder it and think about it and want to know this and you know yeah <laughs> I like how you phrase it as she's always curious because that mindset will just open up so many doors to you. You must be curious and you must be willing to take risks because if you, you know, particularly as an entrepreneur or someone doing something different, it's like skydiving. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's that feeling and you've got to jump. You've just got to jump. Oh, I love because it. You're going to land and you're going to be so proud that you did it. Yes. And if you don't, you're always going to wonder. You're always going to wonder. Yeah. Always. Yeah. Did you ever go through a stuck period in your earlier years where you were like, is this all there is? Well, that's what got me um, out of my studio because I was, I was making art. I was isolated and I just felt like I just didn't like being in isolation. And I felt like I had another calling and I didn't know what it was. Mm -hmm. You and, felt like a pull. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, I, what, what really motivated me was 
my brother was elected judge and my father was a judge at the same time. So they made history as the first father and son judge on the bench of Maryland. Wow. And I was in my studio and I, we had, we had gone to the uh, um, swearing in and my sister and, and mother and I came back home and I said, you know, I'm so proud of my brother, but I'm so jealous of him. I could chew nails. Why <laughs> is he successful? And I'm just an old artist stuck in the studio. Oh. And I will never forget what they said. They looked at me and they said, so Madeline, what you going to do about it? Oh, <laughs> I love that. And within uh, two years, I was appointed executive director of the Chicago Office of Finance. Yes, that's that's key. So if you find yourself moaning and complaining about where you are in your life, ask yourself, what are you going to do about it? Exactly. Nobody wants to hear you whine. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Action. Mm-hmm. I love that. Do you have any advice for our younger women or even women who are in their 70s who are thinking how do I how do I take that first step well uh in terms of my becoming a writer my first step was to take a class uh it's called it's Ollie O-L-L-I yes I listen I taught a class at Ollie that I had no business teaching guess what it was (laughs) what what (laughs) finding your purpose in the third chapter of life and the people would look at me like, wait, how old are you? <laughs> <laughs> but you knew something. They must have wanted you. For it was like, I've listened season. to a lot of podcasts, y'all. <laughs> 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 All right. So you took an Ollie class. Uh-huh. And then I started writing and I discovered I had a voice and I had a gift and I had a talent. And so, I mean, I don't ever sort of sit around and say, oh, I'm so bored. I have a friend who says, I never, um, uh, she said, you, you always have a project. You're always doing something. Yeah. That's the, that's the spice of life. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And I think you also have to surround yourself with people who are positive, people who think outside the box, people who are not afraid to run against the tide. Yeah, because there's so many people who are not going to encourage you because sometimes it's their own fear, sometimes it's envy. Um, and I also learned this early, particularly as a married woman. Yeah, <laughs> I was very, very cautious about what I told my husband I was thinking of doing. <laughs> Because invariably, for example, I wanted to go away for six weeks to a painting retreat. Well, Uh I knew he would hit the ceiling, right? Right. So um, I I applied for it. I got accepted. I was very fortunate. I had a housekeeper. And I I told her. And so she was my conspirator. Oh, my gosh. um, I announced it maybe three weeks (laughs) and he was like you're doing what Uh uh-huh and every every question that he had I had an answer for 
and I never raised my voice. I was so sweet. Hope you would just think I was like a Southern belle. That is so oh, funny. Honey, Jocelyn's going to cook. And like, it's only six weekends and the boys are blah, blah, blah. They're teenagers and yeah. blah, blah, blah. I like the way you're thinking. And I'll call you every week. You know, and I think that we should have a little honeymoon at the end and you can drive out and we can have a little honeymoon. Well, that's some shit. <laughs> that is so funny. So, yeah, you have to live your own life, even if you're married. I mean, you you have to still. Especially, especially yeah. if you're married. You have to chart a course. And um, yes. yeah, your spouse may not always be the most supportive if he thinks it's going to rock the house. Absolutely. And you have to learn at times it's important to keep your own counsel. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then after you've figured out the strategy, after you've anticipated anything that they might object to, you've got an answer, you know. Yes. And All right, ladies. Y'all hear this from the wise one, Madeline Rab. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Madeline, do you have a social media like uh, Facebook or um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you don't have a website though, right? I do. I have two websites, but what? my jewelry website isn't active right now, but my art advisory is, and I'm not doing art advisory, but if you're curious, yeah, it's uh, um, Madeline at murphyrab.com. I'll put a link to in our show notes. And then on social media, what are you? What are you? Um, What's your handle? Madeline Rab. Okay. I'll put that on there too. Mm. All right. Thanks for joining us today. Well, I had fun, Hope. I hope I didn't talk your ears off, but it, I love talking about empowering women because we need to help one another. No, it is amazing. You didn't talk my ear off at all. I have a feeling that you'll be uh, called back for a second interview at some point. Oh, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Madeline. Thank you. That was awesome, wasn't it, guys? Okay, here's her take-home points. Number one, you are never too old to reinvent yourself. Number two, surround yourself with people who are growing and stretching. This will encourage you to do the same. Number three, get in the habit of noticing what makes your stomach clench. Then don't do anything that makes your stomach clench. Decide what really gives you pleasure and do more of this. Number four, use your contacts and relationships in your favor. Madeline used her husband's clout and access to get permission to display her art at his medical conferences. She used the money to pay for an artist's studio. Number five, pay attention to what's right in your lap, who you already know, and what you already know. In other words, don't start a business about stamp collecting if you don't know a thing about it. Look around. Who do you know? Schedule coffees, dinners, send out those hard emails. Number six, Madeline says, stop being shy. Seize the opportunity when it's there. Walk over. Talk to that person. Remind yourself that whatever it is you're approaching them about is important to their future, too. Number seven, you'll miss opportunities if you don't flex your courage muscles and take a chance. Number eight, stay curious and be willing to take risk. Sometimes you have to wing it. You may not know the hows and the whats, but you leap anyway and follow your instincts. 
Number nine, cleaning out clutter makes you feel like you have released a huge load. The more things you let go of, the more your energy will increase. People who benefit from your stuff you've let go of will in turn get more energy. Number 10, never stop learning. Madeline still signs up for classes in her 70s. She continues to grow. She took swimming lessons and ended up in the National Senior Games with a lot of medals. Number 11, ask yourself, like Madeline's family asked her when she felt the pull to be an artist full-time, what are you going to do about it? Thanks for joining me on today's podcast. If you like this podcast and think someone else could benefit, please share it. I'd also love for you to write a review on your favorite podcast platform like Spotify or Apple. And lastly, if you would like more of the same, come over to my website, hopethepa.com. Thank y'all for listening.